Well, as David said earlier, good morning again. We are very glad that you're here today. If you want to go and take your Bibles, turn, please, and turn to the book of the Revelation in chapter 3, verse number 7. We're going to continue our steeplechase today. And by the way, just a heads up, thank you very much for allowing us to be gone this week in case you didn't know we were gone. We went to over for the commissioning service for Matt and Bethany. It was a, a wonderful thing. Um, we have a video we hope to be able to show next week. And Matt will be with us next week. He'll be bringing the message. I'll be here. No, no, I'll be here. And, and Matt's going to be speaking, though, and sharing with us. And then we're going to have a big fellowship meal after church, all right? So we want you to bring all those goodies that you normally bring. Church is going to provide chicken. And we're going to have a great time. And then we'll come back that night. And we're going to have our steeplechase that night. And we'll be speaking about the church at Fire Tire. So that's all next week. It is going to be good. Don't you dare miss it. Every time Matt has spoken here, he has just blessed our hearts. And we're looking forward to seeing that again. All right? Now, where are we at in our steeplechase? Well, today we're going to a church called Philadelphia. If you'll throw the map up there, we'll see that Philadelphia is about 28 miles southeast there of, uh, of Sardis. Can you see it there just a little bit to the southeast? And Philadelphia was a, a cool church. Now, here's the situation. It was located on a plateau. Some folks had left, I think it was Pergamus, and went out and established a city on top of this plateau. And it was a largely, um, uh, our, uh, I never can say the word, it's, they grew grapes, okay? They were farmers, okay? That's easier to say. And, and industry. But unfortunately, they built the city right on top of a fault line. And can you imagine what happened? They had lots of earthquakes. So they had the synagogue of the Jews who really weren't Jews and made it the throne of Satan. So they had a lot of persecution going on. But like in our world, we have a lot of tragedies. We have a lot of things that happen that kind of make us go, okay, God, what are you doing? And they had those two things going on. And God speaks to this church. And he does it in such a way that there's nothing negative spoken about this church. Now, there are two really wonderful themes that pop out. Immediately, almost, you'll see them. One is the sovereignty of God, and that's a really one to hang our hats on. Because that, time out. And in our culture, we somehow have been taught erroneously that God exists for us. That we ask and we receive regardless of what it is. That somehow, that God is the great genie in the sky, and what if his children want, he gives. I don't know if a parent who does that, okay? And certainly our father does not. But we've been taught that. Now, it's not true in other cultures of the world where Christianity is, particularly in those with persecution, but it is here. So it's important for us to begin to understand, to learn, and trust God in his sovereignty. And that means, by the way, a lot of times saying, I don't understand. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I don't understand. When someone says, well, why did God allow this to happen? I don't know. I don't know. That's okay. That's, the truth is, he's a lot bigger than us, and we don't know everything about God. The second thing that really will jump out today is security. So you have sovereignty, and you have security of the believer. And both those are just huge, huge themes that I hope will encourage you and strengthen you in your walk. So let's see what Jesus has to say to the church at Philadelphia. Now it starts out in chapter, in verse, chapter 3, verse number 7. We read these words. Write to the angel of the church. Now, I've been doing that. I want you, if you walk away with nothing else from this series, the fact that you understand that when you see the word church in the Bible, it's not talking about a building. Really, it's not even talking about a membership other than the membership in the body of Christ. The word is ecclesia. 
It means called out ones. It means congregation. It means group of people. Nowhere in the Bible do you find ecclesia meaning a building. All right. So, so Jesus is speaking to the pastor of the church of Philadelphia, church being a group of called out believers. Very, very important. So he says to, these, to this church, and he starts out, it's important when you talk about sovereignty and you talk about security, who's speaking? Who is this one who's fixing to declare such powerful truths about who God is and his sovereignty and who it is that can keep us uh, secure in the grace of God? Well, he tells us. He says that right to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, the Holy One. Now, you know probably that the word holy means to be set apart. And I want you to take home something. That Jesus Christ was, in fact, the Holy One. He was the one who was set apart. Jesus himself said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. The purpose of Jesus Christ's coming was to become flesh, live a sinless life, touch lives, and die on that Roman cross so that we could have, those who will put their faith and trust in him, could have forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. When Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate was talking to him, you know, speaking some things, here's what Jesus said in John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world. Not to be a king. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth, the truth about his father and the truth about himself and the truth about us. That God loves, he's a righteous God, he's a holy God, but God loves, that Jesus loves and provide a way that every person like us who are sinners could have forgiveness of sin. So this holy one is set apart for the express purpose of bringing salvation into this world. But also he says this, I am the holy one, I am the true one, or the one of truth. Now Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And I, I hope that you'll remember that if, here, and probably in John eight thirty two also, don't take truth as a noun there, take truth as a proper noun, that is a person. Because Jesus said in John 8, 32, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ is the great liberator of men. And he does that because he is truth. What's the language of, of Satan? Lying. What is the language of heaven? Truth. Jesus Christ is truth and truth will set you free. If you're here today, you know, I was thinking, uh, sitting on the front row and somebody said something or saying something up there. Oh, yeah. Donnie said, I don't know how you felt before you met God. I do. I was in church. I was so stinking religious, I stunk. And I was miserable. Rule keeping, keeping the rules, religion will only make you miserable. I felt guilty, guilty, guilty. Fail, fail, fail. I came to church because I felt accepted by the people. I, I got my ego stroked because I could sing and do things like that. But in my heart, I was so miserable. That's how I felt. And then one day... I met Jesus. And all of a sudden, religion went away and relationship was started and changed things. Jesus Christ set me free that October day from the bondage, weight, and guilt of sin. And it all happened because of what he did there in God's amazing grace. So if you're looking today, if you're looking, if you're here today, you're just kind of wandering the building, 
If you're looking for something, you're not looking for religion. You're not looking for a church. You're looking for a man. And his name was Jesus Christ. And knowing Jesus Christ will truly set you free, the freedom that you're looking for. But then he says something else. He says, not am I the one who's set apart. Not only am I the true one, but I'm the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one closes, and closes and no one will open. Now, we bump immediately into this, this theme of the sovereignty of God. Now, the key of David comes from um, Isaiah 22, 22, and for reference where a man there was given keys to the treasury, and he had authority over the treasury. I'm here to tell you today that our Lord Jesus Christ, these keys represent the authority of Christ. Now, exactly how much authority did Christ have? One word. All. In fact, he said in his great commission, when he was telling his disciples, Okay, guys, I'm going away. This is what you're to do. Here's your marching orders throughout the ages, throughout the millennium. Your marching orders is to go out and tell people, make disciples. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all the things I've taught you. Before he said that, before he gave us our marching orders, he said this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So we have a Savior church, Ecclesia. We have a church, we have a a body of believers today that's empowered by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Now listen, that may not excite you. But when you understand the sovereignty of God and the security of the believer wrapped into that authority, it gets pretty exciting. See, see, God's word says this. He says, listen, I'm the one. I have so much authority that when I open something, no one can close it. And when I close something, nothing can open it. Now, now, now get the big picture here. Some of you still have this misconception that Satan has the ability... To just go, anytime he wants. Have you read the book of Job? Where, where Job was, was fixing to go through a great trial, but Satan had to get the permission of God to even intervene in Job's life. I'm telling you, your God is greater today than this created being called Lucifer or Satan. Our God is all-powerful. And when God says something is closed, it's closed. And when God says something's open, it's open. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as the ecclesia, embrace the truth that your God is in control. Now, I can't explain that. I can't explain when 1,427 people die in a gas attack. I can't explain what happened now all the years ago, 12 years ago, on a September morning called 9-11, and almost 3,000 people died. I can't explain what happened yesterday. But I do know this. I'm going to plant my feet on this rock that my God is sovereign and my God is all powerful and my God is working his will out in this. I love I love what Psalm 33 says. Let all the earth. How much? Oh, let all the earth, earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. I love that. See, you may be wondering, what's going on in Syria? That's the hot news now. 
What is going to happen? Are we going to strike and then, then it's all going to escalate to a bigger conflict? I don't know. But I know this. I can tell you what in the world's going on. This clock's winding down. Does it not surprise you that every time it seems like there's major news, where is it at? In the Middle East. In the Holy Land. That's where conflict began, and that's where it's going to end. And I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. A hundred years or today, I don't know, but the clock is winding down. Every time you hear Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, Jordan, Israel, your ears all pick up. Because I'm telling you, God is causing it to happen. And this world is winding down. Now, for some of you, that's frightening. But if you understand the sovereignty of God and your security in Him as God, then all of a sudden there's a peace that comes into that. All right? So, so he says this, and then he says now. He says, look, in verse number 8, I know your works. And that's still refreshing. Because you have, he says three things. You have limited strength. You have kept my word. And you've not denied my name. And then he makes a statement. He says, you have little strength. Let me break that down for you. Apparently, the church at Philadelphia was a very weak, small church. Weak being not of great influence. Perhaps they felt like Noah, who preached for 120 years, and the only people who got on the boat was the aid of his family. I know sometimes as a church, we feel like, are we making any difference? When you hear, when you go to a conference like I was at, along with the commissioning service, when you hear all that going on, you go... God, is anything changing in this world? And let me tell you something. God is at work in amazing ways in this world. He's working in our lives. He's working through churches. He's in a work in America. You know, God never... Write this down if you're taking notes. And believe it. God has never concerned himself with numbers. God has never concerned himself with numbers. There's a guy in the Old Testament called Gideon. And Gideon was a nobody. I mean, he was hiding from the enemy when God called him. And God said, I want to use you to, to attack the Midianites. And so he says, okay, eventually, after talking bad about himself for a couple of days. And he raises an army of 32,000 men. And you know what God said? It's too big. Tell every soldier who's afraid to go home. All right? Well, 22,000 went home. Now, if you're a commander, you got to be going, uh, that was not good. God, are you sure? Maybe we can just say if you're kind of, like, really afraid. Uh, they're still walking. I can call them back, God. No, God said, no, no. In fact, 10,000 is still too many. Have them go down and drink water, and the one who's laps like water, like other hands, like a dog, pick those. And God narrowed it down to how many men? 300 men. God has never concerned himself with numbers. Have you forgotten Romans chapter 8 verse 31? If God is for us, amen, who can be against us? Say it with me. If God be for us, who can be against us? God doesn't need massive armies. God has never concerned himself with numbers. Our God is all-powerful. It's an old quaint saying now. We preachers used to throw it around in the good old days that you and God, within God's will, make a majority. But it's true. 
It's true. You have a little strength. But I'm with you. And that changes everything. You have a little strength. But you have kept my word. We really be careful. We try to be careful these days because, again, we've been kind of taught that, that Christianity really is a certain set of behaviors. And when you do a certain set of behaviors, that somehow you earn God's favor. And that's false, 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 false. But the bottom line is, obedience has not gone out of vogue with God. We are called to be an obedient people. He says, you have kept my word. In other words, that means this. You know it. You believed it. And you've done it. You know it. You believed it. And you've done it. And God is commending this church for simply being a people who do what His Word says. Church, that needs to be us. If God says do it, we should. If God says don't do it, you don't. You don't need to listen. When God is God's Word is clear on certain items, you don't need to have a prayer meeting. You don't need to call a deacon's meeting and say, "What do you think? Should we be the kind of church that wins people to Jesus?" Uh, duh, duh. So. We should hear, we should believe, we should do. And then he says this. You've not denied my name. Now, now, when I was going to high school, it was a little bit better. But these kids know about denying the name. Denying the name. You go to a place like high school or middle school, and a lot of your friends are not believers. Okay? It's really a challenge, it seems, to take a stand for Christ, to, to, to not deny his name. But this church, even in a critical situation, one, they were trying to explain to their neighbors. Now explain to me again how a good God could allow our city to be destroyed by an earthquake three times. Could you explain to us how a good God could cause these people to die? They were dealing with that. And then they're dealing with pagan worship. Two things that we worship or we deal with in America. Can I have an amen? Come on. We've got pagan worship all over America. And we try, you know, people say, well, how could a good God? How could a good God? And, and he says, he's not denied name. And that's something he says, hey, I don't know. I don't explain. I don't understand. I'm not God's defense attorney. All I know is that God is God and I trust him. You know what Luke chapter 9 says? If you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. Do you understand that when we take up, take up our cross... Those are words of identification. The ecclesia, the church, and the church members, the ecclesia members who will carry the cross are saying, I willingly and unashamedly identify with Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, that is a no-brainer for the church. If you truly are born again today, if you're members of the ecclesia, we identify with Jesus Christ. Listen, God doesn't need a defense attorney. We don't have all the answers. But we should never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care how unpopular it gets in our country. I don't care how unpopular it is in high school. I don't care how popular it is in the coal mines. Or how popular sometimes it is in church. We should never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God to be saved. Amen? I'm telling you, it's powerful. Now, because then that they, they, they had limited strength. Okay, but they, they trade true, they believe the word, and they never denied Jesus. I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. I place before you an open door that no one is able to close. Sovereignty of God again. And the introduction of security. There are two things this open door could mean. 
One, it could mean heaven. Because in Revelation, in chapter 4, verse 1, the first part, After these things I looked, John speaking, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And a lot of commentaries will say, this is a likely link. That, that Jesus is saying, this open door is your doorway, your ticket to heaven. Listen, Satan would love to steal your soul back. He can't. Your performance cannot steal your soul back. Because if you're truly born again, you are secure in the Lord Jesus Christ by God's grace, not your works. Not your works. We are secure because Christ holds us. I'll give this to you now rather than later. So Jesus died on the cross for the sins of men. Did he die for 20% of the sins, 40% of the sins, 80% of the sins, or all the sins. All the sins. So, would you agree with me then, if he died for all the sins, that today you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, today you surrender to him, today you, remember, you became a member of the ecclesia, did he die for part of your sins, the ones you'd already committed, and the ones in the future are still hanging out there, or did he die for all of them? Okay, you're right. He died for all of them. So again... If, in fact, he died for all my sins and he forgave all my sins, in my case, on October 26, 1975, let me ask you that question. How in the world, if Jesus Christ has already died for all my sins, am I going to lose my salvation? The price has been paid. Not for just past sins, not for present sins, but for all my sins. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It tickles me how folks who want to get all mad about the fact that we Baptists believe, or most Baptists believe, that you can keep, once you truly are saved, that you can't lose your salvation. I honestly believe this. You have to twist the Word of God. You have to twist the Word of God to make eternal security not make sense. You want to add works. Because if, if in fact, you can lose your salvation, that means you've got to work to stay saved. Am I making sense? So... One, if you're here today and you say, well, I've trusted Jesus and you're living like the devil, I would check up and see what I got. You just my guy, good dose of religion. I'm just, check, I'm just saying I would check it out. But if you know you're a member, if you know that you're a member of the ecclesia, you know you've been born again, don't you let anyone convince you that you can lose your salvation. Because you cannot. And that ain't Dwayne Taylor speaking. That's the word of God. So, so if, if it's talking about heaven... There you go. There's security. But it could also be speaking about opportunities. Paul, at least, I think four times in Acts, says, there's an open door before me. There's an open door before me. There's an open door before me. And he's speaking about ministry opportunities. Opportunities to do something. It applies to churches and it applies to individuals. And if that's the case, it's sovereignty. And we need to understand something. As persecution Increases America. Notice I didn't say if persecution increases America. As persecution increases America, if God has an open door for you or this church, no man can shut it. Come on, y'all. No man can shut it. I mean, if you, as God reveals his will to you, do you understand that within that will, that no man can shut it? No man can shut it. How incredible is that? We have confidence to know that as God is working out His plan in our lives, that Satan can't thwart it, 
Neither can you. Neither can you. God is working out the plan. Oh, I know. Well, Dwayne, what if I say I'm going to do this? That's what grace is about. There's a lot of preachers that will tell you that they've messed up. But God's grace was sufficient. And God even used that. God even used that for the furtherance of his kingdom. So I put an open door before you. And then he says something like really radical, verse 9. Take note. I will make those who from the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, note this. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. And they will know that I've loved you. What in the world? Again, what I read from the commentaries, everyone ties in Philippians chapter 2, 10 and 11. I'll read it to you. It says this. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not sure, I'm not certain exactly when that occurs, but it will occur. And I think there's going to be three groups there. Actually, there's going to be Jesus Christ and the ones who are forced to kneel at the feet of Jesus and those who will willingly kneel. It's going to be you and them. It's going to be ecclesia and non-ecclesia. But every knee shall bow. And what's really cool is, we will be around Jesus kneeling willingly while all the ones who rejected him are forced to kneel. And they're going to go, they're on the winning team. Y'all do know we win in the end. You do know that, don't you? That Jesus Christ is king. He is Lord. And we will win with Christ. In the end. Then, he says this. Now, because you have kept my commands to endure, my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Verse 11. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Now, this could have huge ramifications for the church. You know that the book of Revelation is all about end times. And there's a seven-year period of great tribulation. And there's a great debate. Some people are pre-trib. They believe the rapture of the church occurs before the tribulation. Some are mid-trib. It occurs halfway through. Some are post-trib, believing that the church goes all the way through the tribulation. I do not believe based on Scripture, that the church will go through half of the tribulation or all the tribulation. Well, Dwayne, why do you believe that? Well, right here, for one. Again, reading the commentaries and what I believe it says. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over how much? The whole world. How much the tribulation will affect? The whole world. To test those who live on the earth. I say that because of Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. Do you understand that, that after the letters to the church, that the church on earth, when Jesus says to John, come up hither. That's good, King James. Come up hither. That after that, the church is never mentioned again on earth. They're there for the letters, but not after that. And after chapter 4 starts the discussion... On the tribulation. I believe 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. Where it says God hath not appointed us to wrath. Ephesians, Colossians, Romans. That the wrath of God will fall on the sons of disobedience. 
I believe the wrath of God will be poured out in the tribulation, but not on His church. Because we've been delivered from the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God that we do not have to endure the wrath of God. That ought to be good news. Now, if y'all want to be mid-tribbers or post-tribbers, have at it, bud. I'll stay free. I'll stay free. Then, one more thing before we move on to the last part. Last part. I am coming quickly. Now, you remember the previous weeks when Jesus said, I'm coming? It was a uh-oh. I'm coming. I'll have the sword in my mouth. I'm coming to bring judgment. I'm coming. Not this one. This is a promise, Angie. It's a promise. Jesus tells his church, who is struggling in this world, Jesus tells his church, I'm coming back. I'm coming for my bride. That's us. That's us. I'm coming. And he is. Amen? He is. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Don't give up. Stay true. Stay faithful. Not for your salvation here, for reward. For those rewards that, that as, as Revelation describes, the elders casting the crown at the feet of Jesus. Hold on. Jesus is coming back. And then verse 12. Verse 12 is the sole theme of security for the believer. In case you said, well, I got that cross thing, dying for my sins. Yeah, got anything else, Dwayne? Got anything else? And by the way, there's, there's Ephesians, there's John chapter 14. It's throughout, it's all the story of grace. It's by God's grace that we can't lose it. But, but he gives us a, 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 a piece of pecan pie. Look what he says. The victor. I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. Now, if you go over to the, to the Greek and those areas, Greece, You'll see that often the only thing that's left of a temple is what? The pillars. Pillars, in this case, are symbolic of permanence and staying power. He is saying to the church of Philadelphia, his ecclesia, you're permanent in the temple of God. Now, how, what does permanent mean? Does it mean temporary or lasting? It's lasting, that's right. I will make up a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. How long is never? Never is a long time in the Jew. Never. But, but it gets better. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I will write on him, the victor, the church, the ecclesia. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. Probably stretching just a little bit. But we're going to get a tattoo. So you guys who like ink, we're going to get a tattoo. And marked on us will be the name of God. I put my names on the things that belong to me. Can I have a witness? Jesus says, I'm going to write the name of God on you. Now, have you all ever traveled before? You ever traveled on a plane? Train? Okay. You get your luggage, and what's on that luggage? There's a little tag. And what does that little tag say? It has the name of the owner and the home address. Well, imagine imagine yourself as a piece of God's luggage. And you've got a luggage tag on you. And it says, 
this bag belongs to God Almighty. And if you want to know where his home is, it's the New Jerusalem. It's the sanctuary of God. It's the temple that needs no temple. It's heaven. Come on now. Don't get fired up. Come on. Come on. Listen. And somebody, y'all ever had somebody grab your luggage thing look like theirs? And, and you say, that's not your luggage. Look at the tag. Well, Satan comes and says, you look like you belong to me. God says, check the tag. He belongs to me. Come on now. He belongs to me. Listen, listen. The world, your friends who are so critical of you because you're not perfect, just tell them, check the tag. Listen, I belong to God and I'm at home. And my home is not here. My citizenship is not here. It's a place called heaven. It gets better. It gets better. Woo. I tell you, and then watch this. And then he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to write my new name. Now, we don't know what that name is. But you remember back when we talked about God giving us a new name? And that sermon was about redeemed. And I said, maybe that name will be redeemed. Maybe the new name that Jesus is going to have is Redeemer. Redeemer. Y'all, y'all ever seen those little hearts that go together? You know, it says like I-L-O and it says V-E and you on here. And you put them together and it makes a match and you go, I love you. Wouldn't it be cool? I know. I'm Wouldn't it be cool if our new name is redeemed and his new name is Redeemer and you put them together as, as the bride and groom is? His church complete. Come on, y'all. You're redeemed. And you're redeemed by your Redeemer. You know what? I bet to the church that was struggling in Philadelphia because of the pagan worship and because of the natural claims of life, it's hard. And these were good words for them. I pray these are good words for you. Because some of you right now, you're in a storm. Your life makes absolutely no sense. You're an ecclesia. You're a member of the body. But it makes no sense. And God's word to you today, God's bottom line to you is today is simple. Trust me. I know you don't understand. I never asked you to understand. I asked you to trust me. So if you're there today and your world is crazy, God's saying, trust my sovereignty. Trust me. And perhaps you remember the Ecclesia. And you're like some of us who have self-doubt, image problems. You know, all I can see is my failures. And I just let Satan beat me up. Anybody been slapped before? Just remember this. God doesn't love you based on your performance. God doesn't love you because you keep the rules. God loves you because he loves you. And you cannot make him love you less, nor can you make him love you more. Your sin was forgiven on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago when the Son of God willingly died and took the wrath of God. Your sin was forgiven. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. If you're here today, there's enough... In this message, you're talking about end times and stuff, you'll be going, whoa, dude, 
But if you're here today and you're looking, there's something in your, in your inner being, if you want to say your heart, that's going, I need something. And you haven't figured out enough of the message today. It's not church. It's not religion. It's not quitting this or starting that. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's cool because Muhammad is dead and Buddha is dead and every other religious leader is dead. Jesus Christ lives. And 2,000 years later, people gather in buildings like this all over the world saying, He lives. He lives. You can't go back to a cemetery in Jerusalem and find a grave with Jesus on it. You know why? He's not there. Grant may be in Grant's tomb, but there is no tomb for Jesus because he lives. So if you're looking for something, someone, who can radically change your life, it's Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be standing right down front here. Brent's on vacation day, by the way, and I'll be standing down front. If I can pray with you about the sovereignty of God, perhaps you're going through an issue, we'll have some friends here pray. I'll be glad to pray with you. If you're praying here today and you rest with your security, nail it down that you know Jesus. And once you know that fact, that you've done what the Bible says, don't let Satan throw doubts your way. Nail it down, and then don't let Satan throw your doubts. But if we can pray with you about that, we want to. And my goodness, if I can introduce you to my best friend today, Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, he's real. He's real. He's real. I'd be glad. No, no, I'd be honored to do that today. Then this altar is also open for prayer. If you just want to come and pray, we've got some folks who pray with you. Uh, you know, we talk sometimes about joining the church. Um, if you want to know about that, we can share that with you. If you've trusted Christ but never been baptized, it's a step of obedience. We'd be glad to talk with you about that. This is a decision time for you to act. Dave, you said it. I appreciate it. To act on the Word of God today. What do I need to do with the Word of God today? And that's a question that applies to every person in this room. No free passes. What do I need to do with the Word of God today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so very, very much for the uh, privilege of preaching these truths. Thank you that you are sovereign. That you are all-powerful. And even though we may not understand, I have the faith to believe that everything is filtered through you in my life and the lives of these dear friends. And in fact, this world. Thank you for that. Thank you, Father, that we who know you are held by your grace. Think that we're held. And we have your name, Jesus, written on us. And our future destination is a new home called heaven. Thank you for that. And may that be an encouragement, whether we're going through times of persecution here or whether we're in a crazy world where wars break out, accidents occur. May that give us the peace that we need. Jesus, please have your way. Holy Spirit, speak to the hearts of your people today. Show us what we need to do with what we've learned today. May there not be any hearts of non-action. May each of us be led to do something with the word today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.